Hey everybody, there's a great new way to support Echoplex Media. Head on over to eplex.store and you can sign up at the $5, $10, or $20 a month level. Works just like Patreon, you get all the same benefits our patrons get, plus you get a discount for items in our swag shop, and coming soon, we have members-exclusive swag that you'll be able to pick up at a really low price. Enjoy the show. When they actually spend their time listening to this show, what does it mean? It means we're winning. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee Just like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly See a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do the show live on Twitch Every Wednesday, that's twitch.tv Slash Echoplex Media show is at 7 p.m. Pacific. Podcast listeners, get over here. Um, <laughs> support this project at eplex.store. Just uh, either buy something there or uh, join the uh, join the uh, the membership. It's like Patreon, but it's on eplex.store. We get a little bit better split. Plus, you get a discount on all the items in the store. And um, our undying love. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder, as many have. And I'm HK Perrin. You can find me on Mastodon at hparin at port87.social. Fuck yeah. <clears throat> How you doing this week? I'm doing really well. Uh, I've been working really hard on my email thing, and it's making a lot of progress. I've been not working very hard on any email thing, but I've been busy. Uh, I didn't put out our tech show, but everybody check out our tech show, How the Tech Are You? Uh, the latest episode will certainly be out by Wednesday when this hits the uh, pod or by Friday when this hits the podcast apps. So this week, there's usually nobody to root for. And this week, I say I in, in my view, there's like 70 percent of somebody to root for because this is uh, Lex Fridman and he has the David. He has David Pakman on his uh, show. HK, did you hold to your uh, our agreement that you wouldn't watch this? 
I did. I have not seen this, and I haven't even listened to David Pakman talk about this. So, uh, you know, I'm completely unaware of everything that happens in this. So what I was hoping when I found out this happened is that David Pakman would have been the first person to be like, dude, I'm not talking to you for four hours. And uh, that didn't happen. (laughs) Three and a half hours. I really wish somebody would be like, dude, I'm not going to sit there and talk to you for that long. That would be... (laughs) And not only that, but like in the, the title, I can see the title here. It's got uh, the thing that I really want to hear is them talk about like wokeism, quote unquote, which wokeism just means like inclusion. That's uh, literally all it means. They, they, uh, it, well, I mean, it's the thing it could that mean they whatever you to, want it to mean. It's the thing that they used to call social justice and the thing that they used to call political correctness. They just keep changing the word. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just it's just being nice to people and I want to hear someone actually talk about like you know why why are the Republicans so against and, or conservatives in general why are conservatives in general just so against just being nice to people. So what we'll do is the last segment before we switch over to the uh the red light this week. We'll go ahead and make sure that we skip ahead to that. And it looks like okay, the segment cool. is about 15, 20 minutes. So we'll make sure right at around maybe a little after 8 p.m. Pacific uh, our time. We'll switch over to that and make sure we get that in before we uh, turn the lights red. And then we can have our leave right. of this awful yeah. video too by then. Anyway, there's too much, too much chit chat. <laughs> that's not what anybody's here for. We're not here to, we're not here to talk about ourselves. That's, uh, that's in red light. Here it is. I skipped the intro part where he tells us something about David Pakman differences to you between terms like liberal, democrat, left-wing, leftist, progressive, socialist, communist, marxist, far left, center left, all of these labels. Is there interesting distinctions between them? Yeah, there's two sets of distinctions. One is if you just want to say let's define each of these as political terms, they're all different terms. You can be a progressive ideologically but not be a member of the Democratic Party. Many say the Democratic Party isn't even really very progressive. So these are certainly terms uh-huh. that we could define uh, in order to have a conversation about the next thing, kind of as a precursor to a conversation. Sometimes, oh my God, they're already in the conversation about the conversation part, and we've been watching for literally 15 seconds. <laughs> the terms are used in order to tag someone with a certain ideology that's not really linked to policy or any particular political question, but they can be used positively or negatively to just kind of say, here is the image of this individual that I have in my mind. So like Marxist is right now very popularly being used by some on the right um, to attack Democrats. There's very few actual Marxists, certainly not in positions of power in the United States, but even among the general population. Um, So I think it's important to distinguish, are we defining these terms because we want to compare and contrast the ideas that a particular group might bring to the discussion, or are we using them as insults or to stifle conversation? They're terms that can be used to start conversation or to stop it. And the use of those terms is evolving rapidly month by month. So the term leftist, I think, is a relatively popular term now to use in the negative context to describe um, what an outraged left-wing commentator. I think what you're kind of grasping onto is that there's probably some- This is going to be fun because I don't 
oh, I don't listen to Dave Pakman anymore. Um, I don't really like his content that much. I used to listen to him a lot, but I've sort of, he's, I don't know, the fucking too much. I think too much, like there's just too much politeness in, in his game for me now. <laughs> and, um, but this is going to be really funny because Dave Pakman ain't a dummy. And I think Lex has been presented yeah. to us as a very smart person, but I think he's actually kind of dumb. And so this is going to be like really fun watching Dave just explain like very basic stuff to, to fucking Lex. <laughs> also, um, he's saying it's it's popular to use leftist as an insult. Like I describe myself as a leftist. Like I consider myself more of a leftist than a liberal. Right. But we're, they're not talking about you. But like if you're talking about like someone using it as an insult, like that's just people who disagree with the policies and and uh, and viewpoints on the left. Like, so I think people who I think cares people, if if someone on some right wing person uses leftist as an insult. So I think like, when people use it as so a what? I think when people use it as an insult, they're the people who think that a leftist is just more liberal than a liberal, and they might just think that it's a liberal with a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> A liberal who was mean to them on Twitter or like, and we're not, we're not going to get into the the same dumb conversation about distinctions that Lex wants to get in with Dave here. If Dave Pakman wants to get into that discussion, he can get into it. But if you and me get into that discussion, I'm going to bash my head against the keyboard. (laughs) All right, let's keep going on then. Set of ideas that would apply to most of those who consider themselves to be on the left. Mm -hmm. The discussion of how that term is mostly being used is not about policy ideas. You're Mm -hmm. accurately kind of uh, uh, identifying that. And it does seem like progressive is no longer being used as a smear and leftist is being used as a smear more at this point. Okay. But sometimes some of these terms are useful. Like, can we try to pick the terms that are useful, like liberal and progressive and Democrat? But those are like almost all the the, the fucking, those are like a a very close Venn diagram in a lot of cases. I hope Dave says that because this is the part, this shit, actually, I hate this shit. This is the politics talk that I don't like. I don't like, there's two things I don't like to talk about. I don't really like talking about horse race politics, like Democrats versus Republicans. And I don't like this, this like quibbling over like terms. Yeah. He said it's it's useful to talk about these things. I completely disagree. It is hardly ever useful to talk about labels. Basically, right. the only time it's useful to talk about labels is when you're talking about fascism. Or or if you're like at a dinner party and you don't really want to get into politics with somebody. You're going to use a shorthand for your political beliefs and then you're going to walk away. I don't know, because I talk about politics like for a living now. So the last thing I want to do at a fucking dinner party is talk to some idiot, even if they're an idiot on the left about politics or like somebody who I just don't want to do it. And so I'll just be like, oh, I'm a leftist, but um, I'm actually here to eat dinner and drink alcohol. <laughs> hope, they, <laughs> hope they'll leave me alone. My God. Liberal and progressive. Is there an interesting definable distinction between liberal and progressive to you? That's a, maybe one of the most interesting ones. 10 years ago, liberal often meant what now we mean by progressive. More recently, the progressive socialist leaning part of the political spectrum has started to use liberal to mean Joe Biden, to mean someone who is not 
really left enough. So liberal is very interesting because I remember talking with my audience years ago, maybe eight years ago or something like that, where I identified, I'm going to now use the term progressive more commonly to describe my own beliefs because liberal has now been made a smear. It's being shifted into something else. And it also means more of like a center left politics. Mm -hmm. So it's changed in some sense by, by necessity, by force, mm -hmm. and also because the, the spectrum has shifted to some degree. So the term liberal has evolved. Oh my God. So here's the difference. How critical are you of capital and capitalism? There's the difference. Fucking move on. <laughs> Meaning some kind of uh, embodiment of the mainstream Democratic Party. Almost. To some degree. Sometimes I'm called, uh, I'm written off by, you know, within my space, there are all sorts of shades of gray, which I'm sure we can talk about, about where I am versus should be, could be, or am wrongly placed. And sometimes an attack on me is, he's just a lib, meaning I'm not left enough. I'm not progressive. My God, I lean into that. I, I'm like... There's a command. I forget what it is in the chat. It says you can type it in and it's like gay Dave is every communist's favorite shit lib. Like wherever else you want to go. So yeah, the, the problem with a lot of these terms and the, the problem with this is if you worry about it, call into my show is that unless we actually define them each time, they very often mean very different things to different people and often come with an agenda attached to them. And so I find that they often stifle meaningful conversation rather than encourage it. Well, don't worry, you're on the Lex show, so a meaningful conversation is going to be really tough to have, Dave. Real tough to have. I mean, I, I, I agree with, with Pac-Man here about uh, these labels are very often completely useless. It is completely useless to say, like, well, are you a liberal or are you a progressive? Like, that's useless. It doesn't tell me anything about you. In fact, if the person asks me that question, I'm going to assume they're an idiot. I'll tell you my policies. Not a huge fan of capitalism. Does that narrow it down? Do you sense that there's a drifting of uh, what is the threshold to be a progressive? Or is, is there, should we use progressive synonymously with uh, democratic socialist? I think we should not use it synonymously with democratic socialist. And this is where there's a. Well, no, that's because these are two different terms. Yeah, good confusion job. Confusion and a political <laughs> confusion. So we'll first talk about the linguistic one. Social democracy versus democratic socialism. Very similar words in a different order, <laughs> okay? My, the way I operate is democratic socialism is actually a form of socialism where one would seek to socialize ownership of the means of production, as an example. Social democracy is a very uh, highly regulated form of capitalism, the likes of which we would see in Northern Europe, Denmark, etc. These are very different things. I associate progressivism in 2023 with social democracy and would consider democratic socialism a form of actual socialism that is different. It is, it, we're no longer talking about uh, a capitalist organization of society. So transition from one to the other is a fundamental shift in how, in how society operates then. Absolutely. And when you talk about social democracy, you're talking about socializing a couple more things than we socialize in most modern uh, capitalist 
countries. I had this conversation with Patrick Bet David recently. Social democracy is <laughs> thanks okay, for putting a picture of fucking that that fucking dude who looks like he's about to fire me on the screen. Lex, appreciate it already in the United States. Uh, we've socialized some healthcare in the sense of like the VA and Medicaid, etc. We're talking about socializing a couple more things still in a capitalist country. Democratic socialism would be something beyond that, and and as someone who is not a democratic socialist myself, I'm I'm maybe not the best advocate for explaining exactly how that system would function, but it would have some version of socializing ownership of the means of production, businesses, et cetera. So you mentioned you uh, appeared on the PBD podcast with Patrick Bed David. Um, the debate was pretty intense. I, was I, it? <laughs> I, I, I should say I personally enjoyed it. I thought uh, actually you did well and I thought Patrick did well and it was a good conversation. I mean, I there was a was. little bit of tension. Yeah. And I, I thought that Patrick actually- Now they're talking about how great it was that Dave got to have a conversation with something else, somebody else. <laughs> this discussion of the conversation is like a, like a recurring theme in all of this. And I just wish somebody would go on there and shut this down. Like go on one of these platforms and shut this the shit down and be like, I already understand, sir, that it's good to have conversations. Could we maybe talk about something else? <laughs> uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, Pacman's not dispositionally inclined to do that, and anybody who is dispositionally inclined to do that, these people are terrified of. Disagree with the internet. I thought Patrick just took on a kind of devil's advocate. Like he was he was purposely being stubborn to bring out the best in you. But the internet thought that he's being stubborn, not being open to your ideas. I thought the tension between ideas, um, I think a lot of the tension had to do probably with uh, Donald Trump and Trump supporters. That certainly could be the case. And people wrote to me after, people wrote to me the full gamut of everything you can imagine from this was your best thing you've ever done in public to you got humiliated and your mother should have aborted you. Okay. So every, and everything in between. So, yeah. you know, take your pick. But, um, the most interesting feedback I got was from people who asked me after was it incredibly tense and awkward and because it seemed so combative. And I think for, I'm so used to those types of tensions mm -hmm. in the discussions that I have that it's very comfortable to me. It's not like afterwards it's, it's, there's a grudge or it's tense or whatever the case may be. I'm very comfortable. Just, I, I disagree with people and that's it. So I did not find anything that happened inappropriate. I disagreed with a lot of the things he said, certainly. Uh, so you've also spoken to Michael Knowles, um, I think about the idea of what is a woman. Uh, do you, uh oh, can you speak broadly about your conversations with the people you disagree with? Uh, you know, some of the cases it feels speak, like. It, yeah, you got three and a half more fucking hours. Yeah, I guess you could speak broadly on any topic, sir. The conversations <laughs> have conversation. gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple different things. And I I'm the first to tell you that depending on who I'm talking to, I go in with a different attitude about how, quote, seriously I'm taking it in the sense of whether I think it's going to be a deep policy discussion versus where it's, whether it's going to be more of a performance for an audience that is expecting a certain thing. And I think there's different types of shows. When I was interviewed by this guy, Jesse Lee Peterson in Los Angeles, it's very different, for example, than when I'm talking to Patrick Bet David, just to give two, two examples. I, I think... The reason I stopped doing the Michael Knowles show was the number of, of threats I would get after the fact. That's really the reason. I was glad to engage with him to the extent that the interviews were interesting and you know we could organize it reasonably efficiently. Um, but Send me in. I'll give those re people a reason to send me death threats. Send me in to talk to Michael Knowles. 
<laughs> the reason I stepped away was sort of the aftermath. You and me both, but man. I did find. Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be pretty much my disposition the whole time. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like, well, aren't these interesting ideas about somebody else's basic humanity? I'd be like, hey, fuck you. Yep. And that would pretty much be. I'd be like, bye. Him to be <laughs> someone who was abundantly clear about his view and where he comes from. And while I could not possibly disagree w more with him in terms of politics and culture and our backgrounds, everything is just so, so different. I found it easy to engage in the conversation just because of how upfront and clear he was about what his beliefs were. But the number of threats, yeah. too much. Yeah, it was just too much. And this, um, you know, I don't know if, how much you saw about this. I will say, you know, the, you were talking about his niceness. Uh, when you're engaging with someone who is a fascist, uh, you can't be nice. You can't be civil. You have to call them out. You can start so, that way. You can start that way and see if they're willing to give. But as soon as you figure out that this person, they're not going to give you an inch, then actually yeah. at that point, you should just be like, well, I'm done wasting my time with you, actually. Uh, but if you'd allow, yeah. or, or I, you'd say, I'd say my piece and then be like, I'm done wasting my time with you. You are a bad person. Your community is bad people. You're spreading bad ideas and you're terrifying. Yep. Yeah. And I think if you don't do that, uh, it doesn't help anyone. Right. It's just, isn't it nice that we had this conversation and I'm like, well, not so, not really. Yeah. Isn't it nice that we, we talked about whether other people deserve rights. Isn't it nice that that I was so polite to you when we we debated the basic fundamental humanity of someone else? Eked with Donald Trump Jr. tweeting about me, and then that then declining from there. Oh, let's let's talk through it. I didn't see it. Okay, let's, I have to understand like uh, the way you study Shakespeare. I have to study your Twitter. <laughs> right. I have to understand some. Wait, wait you shut sarcasm. the fuck up. It's mostly sarcasm. It's, it's I, I mean, here's the thing. And I know that there are people who will say, David, you're dealing with such serious issues. It's really not okay not to take everything you do completely seriously. Yeah. But my view is it's so incredible that I've, between chance and timing and so different things, fallen into a position where this is what I do professionally. And it's a career and it's financially sustainable and all these different things. I don't want to end up taking myself too seriously because I recognize the timing and luck and all of these other things. And this could have gone a completely different way. So my approach to a lot of this is let's not take ourselves too seriously. And in particular on Twitter, a platform that, you know, the degree to which it should be taken very seriously may maybe has changed over time. I'm always sort of thinking a little bit tongue in cheek on Twitter. So what happened with uh, Donald Trump Jr.? So, or the full arc of it? Yeah, the, to make give you a one minute arc, and then we can pick yeah. whichever part. Lex is already mad that he said, "I'm only going to explain these to you in one minute." Lex is like, "Well, fuck." After <laughs> a mass shooting, now you might say there's like two or three a day. You're correct. After Lex the would never Nashville say that. Mass shooting at a Christian school. I tweeted snarkily, tongue in cheek, to point that thoughts and prayers not only aren't particularly useful after a shooting, they also don't prevent shootings, that there's some confusion about how there would be a shooting at a Christian school, given that it is a pl place where prayer is taking place. I think I, I you know, jokingly said something like, um, were they not praying enough or correctly? In my deep journalistic integrity. You have it. I have your Beautiful. tweet. Beautiful. This, is, this is the only display of journalistic integrity. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will show today. Okay. And then I have a couple of responses. It's probably the, probably the only integrity you're going to show. Which, I, which very, I regret. At least Lex oh, knows that he's a joke. I would love to because it's such a yeah interesting decision. Uh, because when you tweet something, one of the things I've also learned is you don't often understand how it's going to be read. It's going to be analyzed, like I mentioned, Shakespeare. <laughs> don't say. There's certain, the use of- Lex just finally figured out that when you say something, you don't actually get to control how other people respond to it. It's big progress in the marketplace of ideas here, buddy. Big <laughs> fucking progress. Certain words that you regret saying in a certain kind of way, maybe just because it wasn't as eloquent, as, as, as powerful, it didn't actually convey the thing. Um, anybody who, anybody go check my tweets and replies and, and t ask yourself if I worry about how people are going to take what I say to other people on Twitter. Or is the distraction to the main message, all that kind of stuff. Okay. The actual tweet is very surprising that there would be a mass shooting at a Christian school given that lack of prayer is often blamed for these horrible events. Is it possible they weren't praying enough or correctly despite being a Christian school? And um, uh, a lot yeah, of they didn't pray hard enough. Retweeted that, which I'm assuming was uh, uh, criticism. So Colin Wright wrote, I used to consider you a reasonable progressive, but you clearly devolved into partisan hackery. I'm an atheist. It cannot begin to fathom using the murder of children and adults at a Christian school as an opportunity to dunk on the concept of prayer. Anybody who doesn't know he Colin, anybody who doesn't know Colin Wright, anybody who doesn't know Colin Wright works for Skull Measuring Quarterly. Uh, he's, he works for <laughs> Killette. He's a writer for Killette. He's a fucking phrenologist. Well, Colin Wright is a fucking idiot. If he thinks that Pac-Man was dunking on the concept of prayer in that. And you responded, I'm dunking on the people who sent You, you never try to explain to yourself to someone like Colin Wright. Ever. <laughs> the the response should be, fuck you, go measure a skull. Let's continue. Okay, I'm sure there's a lot of other interactions. There's like a few this. other hundred thousand yeah. interactions. So the, do you want the arc leading to the yes, deleting? Please, so, so basically, I just wanted to display. The, do, do you the, know the what time of day I tweeted the original one? I feel like it was in the afternoon or evening of on a Monday. 3.42 p.m. on 27th, March 27th. Which was a Monday. Okay. Monday. So basically, I tweet that and then I finish the day. And so I, you tweet. And then you go on with your day. I might have looked once at Twitter and it had 2,000 likes and a few people saying, eh, this might have missed the mark, but it's sort of like, it's one of my 20,000 tweets. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wake up the next morning. My baby daughter did not sleep till 7.30 the way I would like. So she's up at 6 a.m. and I get up. And baby daughter's complaining about the tweet. Breakfast, And I glance at my <laughs> phone and I'm starting to, this was when verified meant a different thing than it means now. Um, I'm seeing all these verified accounts that are, you know, quote tweeting it and demanding a retraction and whatever. And I go, uh oh, okay, this looks like it's getting, looks like it's getting some attention. Um, I then continue about my day. Around noon, I hear from my dad that he got a hundred messages from you should have aborted your son to we're going to find all of you to whatever else. My dad has no idea what's going on. He's like, I don't know what this is, but I have a hundred DMs to everything else you can imagine. Um, and I start to get emails about 
you know, we, you know, uh, your Jewish faith, this and that, and the other thing. And so at that point to me, Oh, it sounds like the kind of people you should apologize to. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like he pissed off the right people. That is exactly who you want to piss off. (laughs) So why retract it? This is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so I deleted the tweet. And I really regret doing that because over the 48 hours that followed, yes, the attacks escalated. It went through Candace Owens and then at foxnews.com, Newsmax, kind of peaking with with Donald Trump Jr. And it was horrible. I mean, thousands and thousands of the, okay. But once I told my audience about what happened, I got thousands of messages from people saying, David, only someone who doesn't know you and is determined to interpret this in the worst possible faith, would think you're blaming kids who died for getting shot. Of course you weren't doing that. I wish you hadn't deleted it so that it would still be up and you would now see the tide kind of turning on it. This was not a fun three days regardless, but I do regret having deleted it because um, it was a pan- I wanted to do the quickest thing I thought I could to get people to stop trying to find family members and send them threats. And so around noon, that's what I did. And the truth is the threats didn't stop anyway, because everybody had screenshotted it. And I do wish I had left it up. I mean, is there some degree, maybe stepping outside yourself, do you regret tweeting that? In that it feeds the mockery engine that that fuels Twitter. So like does that tweet really represent what you believe? It absolutely represents the disgust with a politics that includes saying we can't. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on. Can. can we pause it for a second? So Pacman at the beginning of this said that he was being sarcastic. Like this, he said that he is mostly sarcastic on Twitter, and he also said explicitly that this tweet was sarcastic and Lex just asked him if that was an accurate representation of what he really believes. Does Lex know what sarcastic means? So, I mean, to not to be fair to Lex, but just to be like precise, I guess if you're being sarcastic, you are in fact putting what you believe out there. Generally the point of good sarcasm is that you're using sarcasm to say what you believe. It's just that people have to realize that what you're that you're using sarcasm to tell tell them what you believe, right? Well, I think in this case he was saying sarcastically the opposite of what he believes. Mm-hmm. What he believes is prayer doesn't work to stop shootings, right? And he was saying, Oh, it's so strange that there was a a shooting at a Christian school. Maybe they weren't praying hard enough. Yeah, we saw that. So that's very obviously sarcasm. So like, why is Lex asking this? I mean, is he asking like, obviously the text of the, of the tweet is not what Pacman believes. Is he asking that like the sarcastic intention of the tweet? Is that what Pacman believes? Cause like, yes, clearly. I don't sure. know. This is just a really dumb question any way you any way you look at it to me. <laughs> but we're willing to point to mental health 
or say we need more prayer in schools or whatever. 1000% it represents that view. Is it the type of snark and sarcasm that I would use if given an hour to discuss the topic rather than whatever the number of characters is now on Twitter? No, definitely not. And so I am very cognizant of the fact that it was unnecessarily provocative how it was written. I, I think I asked a similar question to Ben Shapiro. Do you worry that this style of presentation can turn you from being, um, you know, a deeply thoughtful, objective political thinker to somebody who is just a partisan hack or partisan, um, what's a good word, talking head? Do you mean with regard to Twitter or the format of my show in general? So Twitter for now, let's start with Twitter for now. And can you silo your style of communication on Twitter from being a virus that affects your mind? Right. I don't have deep thoughts about the Twitter component beyond, I think, across all sorts of disciplines. This is not the best way to most effectively solve problems and figure out solutions to complex issues. You're talking about Twitter. Now, right now I'm talking yeah. about Twitter. Yes. That being said- Good job, Lex, you figured it out. Us. He just told you that he was talking about Twitter and you figured out that he was talking about Twitter. So far, Lex's brain is the size of the galaxy. To some degree, have to adapt our content to the platform that we're using. In the same way that what I post to YouTube is different than what I post to TikTok, what I post to Twitter is also different. Do I think Twitter has been an unmitigated good for society? No. Um, have I chosen to step into Twitter as one of the ways in which I get my message out with the good and the bad? Yes. And I think that there is a deep conversation to be had there. I think zooming out a little bit in terms of what I do, and I was hoping this would come up because I think it's really interesting. I will often get emails from people who say two things. I will get the, you would have such a bigger audience if you did X type emails. Mm -hmm. And usually they are plays to sensationalism, mm -hmm. salacious and, and titillating content, more pop culture stuff, et cetera. On the other hand, it's folks who say, listen, what you're doing really isn't as serious as it could be. And it seems like you could do something more serious and you should consider doing deep dives, you know, once it was do a deep dive into Calvin Coolidge. And I was like, nobody will watch that. So there it's <laughs> you know, not, but is, isn't the appropriate response. I don't give a fuck about Calvin Coolidge. He dead. That's my response. I suppose like I, I would ignore all of this noise and I wouldn't waste time on during an interview talking about like the random criticisms we get, especially for this show. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you, you're you're talking about these serious thinkers and all you do is make fun of them. It's like, well, did you see the fucking title of the show and the tagline of the show? What the fuck did you think was going on here? The intent is so clear <laughs> from the title and the fucking tagline of the show. Like, I would not waste time during an interview on this. In fact, like, by this point, I would already be asking Lex about the people that he's platformed. Yeah that my show is the way it is. I don't know right? if that's in the reason Pac-Man went I, on to his show though. Also important to note, we don't know what kind of like agreement Lex sends out to people before they go on his show. Like the things that people have to sign. We found out over the years that uh, Brett and Eric both have writers they send out to people if they're not like friends with them. That they'll send out. They're like, <clears throat> Brett was sending out like for when he was talking about his book, uh, that people would agree to not ask him 
about his anti-vaccine propaganda or he, he if they wouldn't sign it he wouldn't go on their show and i would be surprised if lex doesn't send out some kind of writer to people like asking them not or saying that they may not go after him for the people he's platformed and the ideas he's put out there i'd, I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't do that i'm thinking of all the platforms i'm on and i'm saying okay i want to do a relatively deep dive on the federal budget and i want to talk about some of the um uh, political tomfoolery going on within the post office and i'm going to do a segment about the wacky rally where trump said crazy things and made up three words and said he endorsed a candidate who's named it right i'm crafting that in total to find a balance between let's build this audience as much as i can in order to have a bigger base to get my message out there and include the more serious stuff with the hope that there's a little bit of something for everyone and i'm finding a balance between those two sides of the spectrum it, it's a deliberate thing and i'm aware that if i were producing my show 50 years ago the balance would probably be different and it would probably change again if we didn't if the show was audio only rather than having all these video platforms it would also be different but it's a decision that's proactively made to try to get the best and most out of the hour that I'm creating every day. Well, it just feels like there's an entire machine fed by Twitter and journalism that wants to divide people and the drama of that division highlighting the, the how many the times is he going to ask the same fucking question? <laughs> the drama of that division feels like it's a tension with objective, clear thinking sometimes. And so that's the, I worry that there's a drug to it. There's too much fun to mock ridiculous people on, on, a, uh, on the other side. I think you're right about that. So he just and did this one. Oh, here we go. The, the, the focus on ridicule. You did an Eric Weinstein. <laughs> the fact that that is true to me supports uh, i've talked with my audience about you know like the old food pyramid which i guess was like wrong but let's imagine yeah, that there was a pyramid right. that that made sense What's um, at the bottom bread so they showed the food pyramid uh, like whole grain oh my god <laughs> seriously <laughs> put the food pyramid up lex is the most uninteresting interviewer in the world he just he was like here's the food pyramid it's like dude everybody knows what this stop <laughs> stop it's been a while Sugar since is on the top. Okay. junk food is at the very top. I am very open with my audience. The vast majority of what I do is the top of that pyramid. And I tell people very openly, I don't consume a lot of the type of content I produce. And I think it's really important to, as a base, be doing critical thinking, epistemology, how do we believe the things we believe, basics about the world. After that, reading history, economics, philosophy, et cetera. After that, now we're getting into current events. I would mostly be looking at consuming um, primary source reporting, things like Associated Press, whatever. I know everybody will have a different list of what counts mm -hmm. there. After that is when I'd say indulge in some of the commentary type stuff that I do. I think if what he's trying to do right now I is excuse thought. that everything he does is clickbait. But <clears throat> this is again, like, this is like, it's kind of a, like a weak defense of what he's doing. Like, this is why these people 
like for example they would never have sam cedar on because sam would be like yeah he's like i do a long form interview that goes out as the podcast and then we just do culture war shit and dunk on people and take phone calls i'm not telling you to watch my show <laughs> like <laughs> you don't have to watch it i don't have to defend it to you enough to make it into that but i'm very open and really what i try to do on my show often is in being that at the top of the pyramid tell people there's all this other stuff that should be forming your foundation that i hope you're consuming in addition to just watching me and i'm very open with my audience about that what about the shape the dynamics the the characteristics of your audience is there some degree to which you're through mocking maybe republicans that there's a there's a lean to that audience and then you become captured by the audience do you worry about the audience capture i worry about it i'm relatively comfortable that it's not shaping the program to a great degree in the sense that at this point i have a pretty good sense of the things i can say that will upset what i might call my core audience you know one of the interesting things just to briefly go back to the Twitter thing was those people who were furious with me on Twitter and they contacted my advertisers and some advertisers dropped me and on and on and on. None of them are actually in my audience. None, none of them are regular consumers of my audience. They were kind of weaponized against me by people who said, hey, look at this. The people who follow Candace Owens on Twitter, other than for their kind of shock value, they're not in my audience. And with my core audience, I know there are things I can talk about that will generate um, Displeasure, I guess you could say with my audience. Sometimes when I touch the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that will happen. Sometimes on vaccines, there's a portion of my audience that is more generally skeptical of vaccines. Um, sometimes on some foreign policy uh, issues, or, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Marianne Williamson nor Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s um, challenges to Joe Biden, not because I love Joe Biden, but because I don't consider them to be the most serious challengers. I know there's people in my audience who don't like that. They get, they get mad at me about that. And I'm totally okay with that uh, and that tension with, with my core audience. So in that sense, I don't feel as though I've had that audience capture take place, but I know it can happen and I'm very open to, to being told ways in which it may be happening without me noticing. Uh, so I've uh, made a call for questions on Reddit for this conversation. <laughs> oh God, the fucking people in Le Lex's Reddit must be the most insufferable pricks on the planet. Lex plus Reddit. Oh my God. There's a lot of good questions that I'll probably bring up, but one of them was about uh, Miriam Williamson um, asking why David thinks she is a garbage candidate, uh, which of course- I've never uh, said. <laughs> uh, but perhaps you have more eloquently criticized her. So let's, let, let's go there sure. to the 2024 election. Okay. So Biden- Joe Biden officially announced that he's running again. Donald Trump officially announced that he's running again. And if that's the matchup, who do you think wins? If the election's held today, I think Biden. Why? Well, first of all, I believe he won last time. And if I start with the results from 2020, and I think to myself, what has happened since then that would push or pull voters one way or the other, I have a hard time making a case that Trump is in a better position today than he was in November of 2020. 
So that's kind of my starting point, which is it's a He's in a much worse position today. So, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe like in like for like normies or whatever, but you have to consider that like only half of the country is registered and then only half of the country votes. So like it's actually, and then you factor in most people are normies. Then you factor, then you factor in the electoral college and like it, 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 things get, things get real complicated real quick, but I hate horse race electoral politics. And I mostly hate it because of the things I just said, actually, because they don't really mean anything. They're meaningless. Half the people vote or half the people are registered. Only half of them vote. And then whoever get the most votes doesn't even fucking win some of the time. So some of the time, some of the time, oftentimes, whoever gets the most vote doesn't win. Make a case for circumstances having changed in Trump's favor to give a couple of state level examples. Florida seems to be kind of moving more to the Republican side since 2020, but Trump won that state already in 2020, so it wouldn't really change the outcome. Arizona was close. I think Arizona has moved to the left since 2020, so I don't see Trump taking that one. Wisconsin, I think the same sort of thing applies. So To be clear, in my lifetime, I think like 15% of the elections have gone to the loser. That would be kind of the start of my reasoning. Do you think Joe Biden is a better candidate now than he was in 2020? I think he's a worse candidate. This is going to sound ageist, but I think he's a worse candidate in that he's even older and there already seems to be an appetite for younger candidates, particularly on the Democratic voting side. So he's going to be four years older. And in a sense, that could be a liability. However, he also is going to have four years of accomplishments. Now, you might not like the things he's done, in which case that would hurt him. But he has started to accumulate um, a not insignificant number of accomplishments. Some of the big things that are known, Inflation Reduction Act and COVID stimulus, you know, but also less well-known things like a bunch of little tweaks to healthcare bunch of little tweaks to student lending. There's been a lot of little things. Um, At the macro level, I don't actually think Joe Biden has that much to do with this the same way I didn't credit or attack Trump for a lot of the macroeconomic stuff, but inflation has started to come down significantly. The stock market's quite steady, these sort of things. I think looking historically, it's a pretty okay environment for Joe Biden with the exception that he was already the oldest president to be inaugurated in 2021. And he would beat his own record in January of 2025. And I just don't know how voters are going to see that. So in terms of just a public human being, uh, how would you compare Trump and Biden? So if I were to give criticism towards Trump, it would be that he's chaotic, maybe to the point of being disrespectful to a lot of different groups, to a lot of different ideas, to a lot of different nations and leaders and all that kind of stuff. And then the criticism towards Biden would be that he maybe perhaps because of age or any other kind of cognitive capabilities is not really there mentally as a, you know, in the way that perhaps you could say like Barack Obama was there just mentally being able to handle all kinds of aspects of being a, but that's dumb because the president doesn't actually make most of the executive decisions. His staff does. I think there is an argument for a president just being too old. But in that case, 
you know, you have to like, you're voting on a ticket. You're not voting on one person. So, you know, if you, if you want to vote on Biden and you're worried about his age, then consider if you would vote for Harris. Like representative of a nation to the world and to the people of that nation. So which uh, in the competition of personality flaws, which do you think is more powerful? You've laid out fair and I believe accurate assessments of elements of both of those uh, men. Yeah. You haven't weighed in on to what degree you value each of those assessments, which mm. is where I think the, the kind of meat of this question really is. Um, I don't see, and I know that you know, Biden's going to get us into World War III. World War III doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I don't see the Biden deficits you listed, which I th agree with you on. I don't see them as um, dangerous or threatening to the standing of the United States in this kind of environment with our Western, traditional Western allies and geopolitics, et cetera, in the way that the sort of unhinged personality of Trump combined with his lack of knowledge about most issues is a threat. So for me, if those two are the candidates, Biden would be my choice. Now, are there people I would rather see on the Democratic side? Yes. If I knew the president would be a Republican, can I think of better options than Trump? Absolutely. You know, I th it's, it's so funny when in 2012, it was Obama versus Romney. Mm -hmm. The difference seemed so significant between them. Mm -hmm. Thinking back, I'm sure I would disagree with Mitt Romney about tax rates and his views on LGBT, or I'm sure I, I know are different than mine, but it seems without looking at him with rose colored glasses, so comparatively benign given the, the four years of Trump. So that's kind of where I come down. Even uh, McCain and Absolutely. Obama, the, the, the differences seemed quite drastic. Yeah. McCain was interesting because Palin as his running mate opened the door to the sort of cartoonish stuff that we've started to see on the Republican side, Palin, Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, it started going in that direction, which has made the party a bit of a joke, aside from what you believe the tax rate would be, right? You can th say taxes are too high, but Jewish space lasers, come on, you know? So, uh, but but I, I agree with you on McCain also. So going back to the political terms we talked about, what where in that spectrum do you place yourself today? Wait, what does that mean? Uh, no, why are you asking the first question again? <laughs> also now it's not labels it's a spectrum which of the labels do you think captures your political views progressive social democrat um w w we already said that is a capitalist i own my own business i pay the taxes i'm legally required to pay and not a penny more and you know all all those things that's where i place myself would you place yourself to the left of joe biden for yes example? yes where does aoc fit into that a good question what do you think about aoc why the fuck is he asking do you think she david went? pakman that question <laughs> where does AOC fit into that i don't know she's a member of the house of representatives you dumb fuck <laughs> what do you mean where does she fit into this <laughs> i mean ask ask pakman do you agree with the policies of aoc how about that where does she fit into this i mean what is yeah <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> i think that if she doesn't run into 
some kind of scandal. And I don't mean scandal in the sense of some personal impropriety that, you know, but I mean some kind of major political problem. It seems that she has the staying power to be in American elected politics for a long time, whether she would even want to be president versus maybe going to the Senate or being governor or whatever the case may be. I have no idea what her ambitions are in that sense, but certainly like policy aside, she has this combination of charisma, likability to some, but also something about her personality that angers the people who don't like her in a way that only fuels her sort of uh, presence, uh, which I think applies to Trump as well, mm -hmm. um, that I do think that she has the potential to be, to have significant staying power in American politics. President, it, I don't know. Do you think that's the future of, of uh, political elections and politics in general, is people who are able to skillfully piss off the other side, like AOC and Trump did? I think it's an aspect of it. I think it's also understanding how to communicate policy ideas. Trump, you know, I have things I can praise Trump about if we want to get to that segment at some point, you, you let me know when that is. But I, I, I do think that there are some things Trump is very good at. And this is why it's very hard for me to believe that Ron DeSantis has what it takes. Crime. He's super good at crime. He's gotten Trump away with it his whole life. Primary. Up until and, very recently, um, one no one even tried to hold him accountable. Trump has a, even though he often says very strange things that if you transcribe them, you go, that's what language is that? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. In the moment, the way he relates to um, adversaries on stage, et cetera, is very good in that he is very much aware of how it is going to be seen by the audience. Mm -hmm. And so that's why a lot of times it's more about, doesn't matter that a word salad came out of his mouth, mm -hmm. how he immediately responded and related to the person. It was very good. So I think that knowing how to be good when clips are shared all the time, often out of context, is extraordinarily important. Knowing how to use social media, which every election cycle, that means something different, mm -hmm. but understanding how to use social media, very important. Those things are absolutely so important. And whether you're able to do a deep dive on the deficit, it's certainly useful, but I would say it's a bad thing. It's becoming less important in terms of figuring out who we want to represent us. So just lingering on the AOC and then maybe let's throw in Bernie Sanders on that. Yeah. So where do you place yourself and how do you do the layout of the land of Bernie Sanders, AOC, Joe Biden, and uh, David Pakman? My instinct is, and the, the th I'm going to answer it. The thing that makes this tough is Bernie says, I'm, he's a democratic socialist. Mm -hmm. He ran as a social democrat. He didn't the, run. But, but who cares? That was really. Socialist. Maybe he just disagrees with you on this fucking. Maybe his. Well, he didn't engage in a lot of pedantry. Actually, that's kind of what I liked about Sanders' campaign. <laughs> is he was talking about like policy, 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 policy. Yep. So. I'm going by their public facing platforms. Uh, I've been listening to him for many, many years and uh, all, all the way back to the Tom Hartman show. And I think using the terms as you've been using them, yeah. he has, I don't think ever been a democratic socialist. I haven't heard him speak about socialism. I, I think he, I've heard him speak about social programs and the value of social programs yeah. throughout the history of the United States and their, and how they've been beneficial. My understanding is very similar to yours, although there may be stuff from the 70s where he really was 
talking We've about all bona fides. Some shit in the seventies. Yeah, right? yeah. You and I, even who weren't around, we <laughs> yeah, were doing stuff in the seventies. Like, I feel like we did. Yeah. My sense would be, you know, Biden is like center left, and then I'm to the left of that, but maybe just inside of where AOC and Bernie are, are very, very similar to Bernie. I mean, I, I identify with a lot of Bernie's ideas. Maybe their implementation, I'm more flexible on. I'll give you one example. Medicare for all, one way of trying to get healthcare to everybody, which Bernie's very big on, is you take the current Medicare program, you just eliminate the age limit, make it available to everybody, pay for it through taxation. Interesting. However, Interesting. That's how all the other fucking countries do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's just describing every other, like, <clears throat> every other like rich nation and even some nations that people would call second world, whatever the fuck that means. Even some nations that aren't as rich as the United States or that aren't in like that. People don't put in the same category as the United States managed to do it. How does Dave want to do it? Magic. I'm open to other models. If they get everybody healthcare, that is good quality and affordable. Singapore has an interesting model. Germany has an interesting model. Yeah, it's called Germany's called single payer. Germany just has socialized healthcare. I am I am more agnostic about yeah, so it than just saying in in that sense. Um he's going even further than Bernie. Because does Bernie want to eliminate I don't actually know this. Does Bernie want to eliminate private insurance? I don't or think, does he think said, private I don't insurance think said he wants to eliminate private insurance. Well, you said uh, Germany is single payer, right? But they, single payer doesn't mean that you've outlawed private insurance. A single payer system just means that there's a single payer into the system. You can go buy fucking more insurance if you want. Uh, none of these countries, you could go buy supplemental plans in the UK and Canada, any of these countries okay. with, with government run healthcare. Then I think he just agrees with Bernie. Like, why did, why is yeah, he why is he saying he's open to more than that? Probably Bernie's open to more than that. Both of you just want everyone to have health care. Isn't that the point? And for the government to pay for it. Yeah. Via taxation. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, needlessly Medicare. tedious. Whether that puts me to the right of, of Bernie. I don't I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I'm not like exactly right there on it has to be Medicare for all. Yeah, that's more of a that's more but just Bernie chose Medicare for all as the, the messaging because Medicare is like the most popular fucking second most popular government program in the United States, second only to Social Security. I mean, if it's not Medicare for all, it will be something that is so uh, so identical to Medicare that you could just say it is Medicare for all like it's government funded health insurance. Augmentism. So I don't know if that puts you to the left or to the right. I don't either. What do you think about the, we could term manipulation or the corruption in the DNC that perhaps tipped the scales against Bernie in the election? Do you got the- 2016 or 2020? In both cases, his opponent got more votes. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, both, I would say, uh, in different d the dynamics there were different with Hillary Clinton and like um, the, the pressure from Hillary Clinton as a candidate and so on. Yeah, what, what I mean, what, was there? Why didn't Bernie win? I guess is one one way to ask. Okay, I think there's a couple things here. First, the DNC. I'm not a Democrat. Just 
your audience may not know, I'm just a, a independent. Yeah. I mostly vote for candidates that end up being Democrats in local elections. Often there's no party designation. So, okay. I'm obviously on the left. I'm not denying that, but the democratic party is, as an institution has never really been interesting to me. You're still a rebel that resists belonging to any institution. Exactly right. Exactly right. And whether it matters, I, I don't know. No, it doesn't. Um, the DNC and the RNC really are organizations that to some degree exist to justify their own existence because if they were no longer necessary um they would go away and Wait, what? so they have to assert their value and their importance they do this in a number of different ways organizing the way By being political parties nominee is chosen <laughs> the convention uh working with states on everything from redistricting to whatever else the case may be setting the order of primaries and having some involvement in how that's all going to happen and also coordinating behind the scenes yeah i, I think he's uh, wrong on this I neither of them are necessary they're established right <clears throat> Established and necessary sure are not synonyms. Don't get in each other's ways. Mm -hmm. We might see it and say they're picking mm -hmm. the the winner. There's nothing illegal about them being involved in picking the winner, but we might say it's not in people's interests. I think the 2020 primary was really interesting. Bernie supporter, myself, I started telling my audience after a couple primaries and even before based on polling and different things, I see a real uphill battle here for Bernie. And it's really important. People in my audience are not the average, you know, union worker in Michigan mm -hmm. who is mostly working and raising a family and then goes to vote on primary day and goes to vote on election day. If you spend a lot of time on Reddit and Twitter, you're going to have an inflated sense of Bernie's popularity within the Democratic Party. That was my sense. And to some degree, we saw that in certain states i don't have the exact primary order and results in front of me or, or in my head but dave dave just say he got clobbered in the south dave he got clobbered in the south just say it Carolina. south carolina was when joe biden won and won handily understood to be because of the larger african-american population in south carolina and right around that exact same time, I actually don't remember now whether it was the day after or the day before, some of the smaller Democratic candidates, smaller in terms of support, got out and said, I'm endorsing Joe Biden. And to some degree, of course, it was all organized and timed to help Joe Biden. There's no doubt about that. This is what the DNC does. It's hard for me to be mad at the DNC because this is sort of like, if if we believed they were there to be unbiased arbiters mm -hmm. and to stay as much on the side as possible, it would make sense to be furious that they've gone against their stated, you know, kind of mandate. Mm -hmm. But we know that the DNC negotiates and is working behind the scenes and has a favorite. That favorite was Hillary in 2016, 2020. So I share the frustration about the power that the DNC has, but for people who were saying they did something illegal or whatever else the case may be, th that, that doesn't I don't seem think to be anyone case. says they did something but illegal. This is part of why, I mean, I would love there not to be this duopoly of Republicans and Democrats, and there's probably four major changes that have to happen in order to make that a reality, but I share the frustration of, of folks while recognizing that Reddit was not accurately representing Bernie's level of popularity. Still, I wish that the bias wasn't towards the... Uh what could be negatively termed the deep state towards the- Oh, get the fuck out of here. What? The deep state? 
Get, get the fuck out of here. Talking to, fuck, talking to the fucking Weinsteins too much now. See towards the momentum of the past, which I think Joe Biden kind of represents, uh, versus new ideas. Which is funny to say that Bernie Sanders somehow represents new ideas because he's also an older gentleman. Well, it's frame. It's so, a lot of framing, and the that is a problem of establishment. That's not a problem of deep state. I don't think like, establishment politicians will have establishment policies and will be favored by the establishment. Right. The deep state. No duh. <clears throat> the deep state is the inertia of the government, basically. If I was going to like take all of the nasty fucking conspiracy and a lot of times anti-Semitic stuff out of it, it's the inertia of like the middle management of the government agencies. Like if if I was going to talk about it, it's that People have been working for the Department of Agriculture for 25 years, and they're probably not going to really change what they do on a day-to-day basis. That's like it's just it's just the inertia of government agencies. Uh, the, these people want to make it a conspiracy, but like then I guess every fucking large organization is part of a conspiracy. You know, IBM is part of a conspiracy because it's a large organization with inertia and it behaves the way that IBM behaves. You know, it's <clears throat> it's just that the people working there that uh, otherwise because you, you couldn't do it any other way because otherwise you just have to fire everyone every time the government changed and nothing would work. It'd be like that movie Brazil. Anyway, we're, I haven't seen it, but yeah, it, it wouldn't work doing that. <laughs> imagine 1984, but nothing works. That's the movie Brazil. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's great. It's a fucking great movie. Anyway, we're moving on to the wokeism part because we're at about an hour five here. And the wokeism part, I have a feeling we're going to end up stopping it. And from what I've heard so far, I'm guessing that Pac-Man is going to try to like one foot on either side of the discussion about wokeism here. I don't think he's going to come out like... Mm strongly saying that hey this is like a you know this is a, a framing that has been that's being like my position on it is a framing that's being used to try to get people of color and uh, queer people to shut the fuck up because that's basically what i think it is um but i don't think pacman's gonna even in a polite way suggest that i think he's gonna try to put one foot in both both pawns here i saw you make a face do you, do you think that's not gonna happen uh, I, I don't know if that is going to happen. I would be very disappointed with him if it did. That's what the face was for. No, the face was, that was the, you're not wrong face <laughs> or the, you're probably not wrong. That was face. the, I'm afraid you're, you're not going to be wrong face. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what, let's see what happens. Another question from Reddit. Both sides are the same in quotes is a meme notion that has spread far and wide in American political discourse on the internet. To what extent do you agree or disagree with this notion? And why do you think it is so popular? Now, this Reddit comment also says that podcasts like Russell Brand and Joe Rogan- He's literally just reading Reddit comments. Like- This Reddit comment also says that podcasts like Russell Brand and Joe Rogan or the legendary comic George Carlin are examples of big proponents of this notion. Oh, George Why Carlin was not. George Carlin did not tell you that that conservatives and liberals <laughs> are the same. This is absolutely not true. He very much did not. Uh, can he think of his own questions? Is this why his? This is why his podcasts are four hours long, right? Because he just crowdsources his questions and just asks whatever anyone asks. All of which I kind. I of bet you with. this is it. 
examples of big proponents of this notion, all of which I kind of disagree with. Uh, Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, and George Carlin claim both that both sides are the same. The same, and use that you know all politicians are crooked and they yeah. suck and this kind of thing. I don't know if they're. I don't know if that's true. Maybe George Carlin. Anyway. No, no, he's the one. He was the no, he's the one who absolutely did not do that. He might have said that the politicians aren't working for you, but that he wasn't saying that they were the same. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? A, oh my yeah, what god! A, what a what a fuck! This guy probably only ever watched like three Carlin routines and never watched like the countless interviews where they asked George Carlin about issues of the day a lot of times they were social issues and he was like clearly coming down on the liberal side like way ahead on gay marriage way ahead on like rights for queer people more broadly just way ahead like way, way ahead of even comedy on that stuff uh to what degree do you think uh, i do you agree with this notion that both sides are the same left and right the crooked corrupt politicians they do what politicians do I don't agree that it's the same. I think there are different factions that like to say that um, for different reasons. There are some individuals who want to present themselves as kind of being above. It's the a vote of suppression tactic. And so it's, it, I call it enlightened centrism. Mm -hmm. um, Do you mean that? positively or negative? no i mean it negatively yeah it's it's a bit oh, of well good good yeah, fuck yeah all right that's uh, that's the first thing fuck, fuck thanks dave maybe at this point he's gotten so <laughs> worn down by lex because now we're two hours and 15 minutes into the conversation maybe he's starting to get a little annoyed <laughs> i know i would <laughs> that i am not going to fall for being a democrat or a republican mm -hmm. i can see that these are just two sides of the same coin equally bad lying to every okay so that's one, it's sort of like it's popular at dinner parties in some circles to go, oh, I'm both all these politicians, you know, left and right. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is that it's often used when when your side has really stepped in it. Mm -hmm. It's a popular way to acknowledge that your side has done something wrong, but while framing it as it's not uniquely wrong. And it's not worse than what anybody else does. And I find that it's one of the lamest and most kind of cringe-inducing things to hear because of the what comes next. And usually what comes next is not a good, accurate criticism of something that took place and a discussion of how to solve a real problem that we have. Mm -hmm. I find it a conversation stifler. It also is used to kind of suppress voter turnout, not actively. It's not that the people who say go. go around saying don't vote. But the idea, of course, is the more people that believe that it doesn't really make a difference who you vote for, it's going to suppress voter turnout. And I want voter turnout to be as high as possible, not as low as possible. So I also dislike it for that reason. So is it, it is a voter suppression tactic. Worse than the other. Anyone who says that is either falling for a voter suppression tactic or using a voter suppression tactic. Modern current political climate. Listen, I'm a person on the left. I'm not pretending to come here as as and not knowing that my view is biased because I'm a person of the left. If you ask Ben Shapiro, he'll tell you something different. I think in 2023 some total the influence of the american right wing if the american right wing were to get everything it wants it would be a horrifying reality if the left were to get everything it wants 
we'd have to figure out a few things, including exactly how we pay for certain programs. But they're mostly noble goals. And I believe that they are more supportive of an individual. Oh, the rich would be what fucked they if we got everything we wanted. Oh, my God, that would be so fucked. Well, you're talking about you're individualizing this again. The American left isn't you, HK. It's everybody from Nancy Pelosi out to seize the means of production. Sure, but I'm talking about like if the if if the progressive left was able to get what we wanted, it would go back to the the taxes, the tax rates of like the 50s where the top earners were paying like 90% taxes. Which they should life and how they want to live and is more in line with the idea of freedom and liberty. Yeah, you're right, though. If if I had my way, they wouldn't just be fucked. They'd be eaten. (laughs) Self-determining what they want to do in life and how they want to live and is more in line with the idea of freedom and liberty than what the right is currently proposing. That's my view. And of course, people will disagree with me. They know we get to freedom and liberty the way that the right wants to do it. Okay, well, we can have that conversation. So, I think you've implied in your answer, it was kind of focused on policy. It felt like it was focused on policy. There's other stuff that people worry about. Sure. um, Particularly with the left, uh, what uh, may be termed the woke mind virus. (laughs) Where have I heard, who's using that term a lot now? I'm trying to think. I'm not sure. (laughs) Not sure. Not sure where it comes up. Uh, but the cultural aspect of this, sure. that, um, you know, if you give a lot of power to people on the left, like, as you gave as an example, there would be a lot of kind of censorship and suppression of speech and a kind of, uh, dividing up of a society of who's allowed to, um, basically a reallocation of resources, not based on merit. But I swear to God, Lex of- Fridman's mom cuts his hair. So hold on. Right now in this conversation, if you're the interviewee, you ask, is this your position? Yep. Is this what you believe? Are you telling, like, who is taking the position that you're describing? Are you taking it? Who am I responding to? To some extent, it doesn't matter. Like, he could just be playing devil's advocate, which is fine, but he should disclose that. That's why I would ask, are you taking this position? <clears throat> Nobody ever asks like this. Of high ethical notions of what is right. And uh, only a very small percentage of the population gets to decide what is what is fair, what is right. Okay. Which is, you know. Um, we already have a small portion of the population yes. deciding fair. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many different ways I can say kind of a negative characterization of uh, of folks on the left when we're now comparing it just as a, to play devil's advocate. Sure. So is there, is that something that you worry about? So pol- setting policies aside, uh, wokeism. Yes. There you go. He's, he's just playing devil's advocate conversation. So let's two, two sides of it. Okay. We have new polling that seems to suggest, I should, I should put some air quotes around woke. that. Just okay. playing devil's advocate. We have new polling that seems to suggest so-called wokeism is kind of more popular in the United States than anti-wokeism. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. This is the less interesting part. We'll go to the more interesting part second. Um, people Sometimes what people mean by wokeism is an overreaction to a perceived injustice that goes beyond 
what would be fair and equitable. There was this really interesting poll and it asked questions like, for example, do you believe society has gone too far, not far enough, or just about the right amount in dealing with uh, issues affecting the trans community? The woke position, which is society hasn't gone far enough, was far more popular than we've gone too far. Now, the, the right-wing media narrative is we've gone way too far. This is out of control. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of other similar answers. It's not a huge margin. A lot of these are like 58 to 42, 60 to 40. It's not like 90 to 10. But by a small margin, the so-called woke perspective of we actually haven't yet done enough to fix some of these issues is a little bit more popular. So if we went back to DeSantis, this is part of why I think DeSantis's anti-woke agenda. That also, uh, so one thing he's not bringing up here is the dis the discrepancy between the two sides in in regards to age uh okay well that's that's fine millennials um, i don't i don't think that the i don't know if the poll that he's talking about even collected that data maybe not the specific poll he's talking about but i have seen either the poll he's talking about or other polls that essentially the kind of like quote woke positions unquote are extremely popular in uh, Gen Z and they're very popular in millennia the millennial generation. And then, you know, as you age, as the generations, you know, get older, they're less popular. I'm not saying like as a single person ages, it becomes less popular, but you know, it's, it's less popular with the older generations. What I noticed actually is that, we're not the, the the three positions were gone too far. We're more or less on the right trajectory, or we haven't gone far enough. I think like what's what's left out here is the people who think we're more or less on the right trajectory are going to tend to be. We would tend to call them at least like maybe not huge supporters of woke. However, the fuck you would fucking put that. But they're they're like okay with the way things are like they're like okay we are adding you know protections for trans people and I think we should do that that they're more they're going to tend to be more on the side of the woke and so and I bet that that's like a non insignificant portion of the people when asked the question they're like I think we're kind of on the right trajectory on uh, like trans issues or LGBTQ plus issues and I think that's going to get left out of here is that that the you know progress is being made and most people think it's good possibly yeah really interesting result i wonder how the questions are uh framed but it's it's still interesting nevertheless no matter what to hear that people are majority of people in america are woke in, the, in not in the negative sense of the word the poll didn't use the term woke right right so this not is in the thing. negative sense of the word the term has <laughs> again like kind of i don't mean to insult you but you're a democrat right like, why Four the fuck ago, would I find it like, <laughs> started to be used? I would have said, oh, yeah, woke just means like I have become aware of problems that are bigger than any one person can fix for themselves that relate to the system. I think that's what and we might disagree on which problems fall into that category. But like it was kind of benign. I think now it just means like outrageously left wing maybe even with socialist or Marxist undertones. It's become an, a pejorative at this but point. But also like bullies. 
like Bullying, people sure censorers yeah but people that go around calling others oh you can tell lex has given away the fucking game here you know like look his he crossed his arms and started like getting a little agitated here lex has given away the game here we know what his position is on this right we can clearly even if we'd never mm -hmm. seen any of his content before he's given away the game here but he's clearly agitated to the extent yeah, that lex is capable to, to the extent the that without to the someone extent calling him a bigot to the extent that Lex is capable of showing emotion, he's clearly agitated here. Yep. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, without any proof of ju or justification. Fair. But that's worse. That's I don't know if folks Lex Twitter actually wants saying, to use a T slur. I was being facetious. Like the polling is starting to show that, like, no, there's still uh most of the americans still care about these issues and want to yeah want to want to improve want to make progress i think that's the case and they want to do it in a genuine way that doesn't suppress or oppress anybody but now let me get to like to what degree do i think that actual when it goes too far is a problem mm -hmm. it absolutely exists it we can find instances of where this exists on the left um i've been told many times that as a Jewish Argentinian immigrant to the United States, I actually don't qualify as oppressed enough because Wait, what? Jews are privileged now in the US and my family had just enough money to leave Argentina. So there's this kind of like oppression Olympics thing. Where oh, get I've the, been stop it. No, 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 no. Yo, people meet you and they're like, oh, that's a white guy. That's it. That's like, I don't know if he's been told the thing that he's saying, but like the people meet Pac-Man and they're like, that's a white guy. Yep. To comment, for example, like a topic in the Latino community now is, are you familiar with Latin X? Mm -hmm. Okay. In Spanish, there's a, an analogous movement where words by their nature sort of like have a gender. So like the word for friend is amigo. But if it's a woman, you would say amiga. So right from there, you can tell the gender that we're talking about. And if it's a mixed group, you say amigos. It's the male with an S, but it could include both. There's a movement now which wants to do away with that and put the letter E in. It's a new word, mm -hmm. okay? It's a gender neutral word, amigues, totally new. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. But who and cares? It's not your decision. My family uses it. And I think it's kind of like a strange imposition from someone kind of with, with a solution in search of, of a problem. Mm -hmm. I've been told. Is that an imposition? You long ago. And like your English is it an imposition like for someone else to use a word? Strange imposition from someone kind of with, with a solution in search of, of a problem. Mm -hmm. I've been told you moved to the US long ago and like your English is good and like you look white. And so like, you don't get to weigh in on that. Mm -hmm. That I think is an example, if I understand correctly, of the type of, of thing you're talking about. I'm, I'm kind of being bullied. I'm fine. I'm sorry. You're not being bullied. You're being told that you don't have the experience of a, of, of a Latinx person because you're white. Like whiteness isn't something you get to choose or, and it's not in your genes. We've talked about this over and over and over again. How does society perceive David Pakman? He, he white. Yeah. Whiteness is something that society thrusts upon you, whether you like it or not in any particular scenario. <clears throat> 
Also, like very few, I, very few people use the term Latinx. I think it's mostly used in um, like uh, uh, academic settings or like in government communications, right? Like it's not, most people don't just, there's just not, people don't use it in conversation. That's fine. And being bullied over it and disqualified and saying, you don't get to speak on this issue. All of those example, all of that stuff, I am completely against. And I tell people on the left, we're actually hurting our own movement with this stuff. I just don't think it's as big mm -hmm. as some others believe. It's, it you don't think it's an existential threat to uh, our civilization? <laughs> no, I don't know. No. I mean, look, we've got a Biden administration. I see Biden as center left. Those who see Biden as extreme far left, this stuff has played almost no role whatsoever in the first two plus years of his administration. What does people that see him far left as far left? There's people on the right who, I mean, Trump says Biden's a, a, a Marxist socialist communist. Um, yeah, Lex, Lex is a moron. I, I don't think that would stick. Like he, he knows that. If he doesn't know that, then he's an absolute fucking moron. But if he does know that and he's just doing a, a devil's advocate thing right there, I don't even know what he was trying to do. Um, then he's just fucking weird. So either he's a moron or he's weird. Says it at every rally. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm I love so jealous how, that you don't watch these things. It's I love like, how deeply researched you are in Trump. <laughs> I can only imagine how good your Trump impression is at this point. It's not very, sadly, it's not good. It's not, all right. No, impressions well, are and, a thing you can I'll do or you can't do. Thing on the, on that. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> cop to that being genetic. Just to talk about it a little bit, we haven't <laughs> dealt with it much. The trans issue has become huge, I believe, because the right is obsessed with it. The right is very much not concerned with gay men anymore. It used to be that gay men is like, oh, we have to stop gay men from adopting and unnatural and pedophiles. Now it's trans, it's drag shows, et cetera. I do think that there is a fair question to say, how do we deal with trans women? Uh, I think he's wrong on that. The, the right is very much concerned with gay men. Right, but they're not messaging on it as much because they've lost on that issue. I mean, the, the don't say gay bill was literally about, like solely about sexual orientation being discussed in school. Small, short list of sports. Well, That's not solely. Great. It was it, okay. it included gender issues as well. So, Oh, here's Dave going to talk about the sports and I'm going to give the position of this network and it is by edict that the uh, sports authorities, the governing bodies of those sports can decide that for themselves without uh, too much of my input. Just, just real clear, that's the position of uh, Equiplex Media. How do we deal with trans women in a very small, short list of sports? That's real, mm -hmm. okay? They do my it without you. I go, okay, we have all issues. We have issues related to gender and sexual orientation. We have issues related to trans. Within that, we have specifically sports. You can eliminate from that uh, trans men. Nobody's worried, right, about women, uh, biological women who are trans men. And then when you say it's only in certain sports that it matters. Hey, I'm right there. I think it's a complicated question. I don't know how we deal with it. I would ask leagues that have experience with this already and whatever. Oh, he has the, the right answer. The problem I have is pretending that the the uh, vanguard right of left-wing politics right now is trying to force trans women into sports. It, it's like, it's just not the big issue that the right 
is reacting as if it were. But perhaps because of the right, it's forcing the left uh, to to continue discussing it. I mean, I, I feel like it, uh, even in institutions, even at universities, it feels like these ideas of diversity, inclusion, and equity are taking some of the air out of the room of um, what a university should also care about, which is uh, merit. And it feels like reprioritization is going a little too far the other so way. So it's it's not uh, it it gives you it gives you nothing of merit to overcome uh, to overcome you know challenges faced because of diversity or because is, of discrimination. Is that what he's saying? You you mean because of discrimination? Yeah, because of discrimination. He he's is that what he's saying? He's saying that. Well, he's not. Uh, if a if a black person reaches a goal and a white person reaches a goal, then they must have given the exact same amount of effort because they both reached the goal, right? That's that's essentially what he's saying. Well, it's built into Even the it's generally built into the the argument that he's poorly making, but also not making. Um, yes, I think. Yeah, even though it's demonstrably not true, it is much easier. You know, depending on other factors, uh, given given ev everything else the same, it is easier for a white person to reach higher academia than a black person. Like we know that as a fact in the United States, it is easier for white people in academia in general, meaning uh, prioritizing this kind of amorphous concept of diversity. It's not amorphous moving away is giving power to people that don't care about merit and they just want to bully people with a big stick that says racism or sexism or um, anti-diversity. Uh, and it, it, it kind of suffocates the people that uh, care about merit, uh, about meritocracy, about inspiring people from all kinds of backgrounds to succeed. And it's just, you kind of observe that. I'm sure that happens in all kinds of institutions. And the concern, I think- I feel like meritocracy is one of these words that is slowly becoming uh, a racist dog whistle. Generally, yes. Uh, Sexist as well. Yeah. Our concern about, at scale, what impact does that have on a society? When there's so much conversation about- This isn't a question, racism. Lex is making a statement and a, a pressure not to talk about he is the person who we made up the word quest statement for if you remember merit like who's the actual good person in the room the yeah. best person in the room generically that's a concern to me the degree to which it's happening at different who is the best person in the room is that what he just asked and a, a pressure not to talk about merit like who's the actual good person in the room the yeah. best person in the room. Generically, that's... There is no best person. I don't... <clears throat> if you're in a room, if you're in a room and you're like trying to figure out who the best person in the room is, it probably ain't you. It's definitely not you. <laughs> in fact, you, you're you a pretty pretty good uh, candidate for being the worst person in the room. Is if you, You're in a room, you're like, oh, there's 15 people here at this dinner party. I wonder who the best person here is. Yeah, I don't think there's any such thing as a best person in the room, but I think there's definitely a worst person in the room. And if... If you're thinking about the former, you are the latter. <laughs> it's a concern to me. The degree to which it's happening at different institutions, I think, is worthy of exploration. I know people who work in academia that 
are getting out of academia because they don't like the environment on their campuses for exactly the reason you're saying. So it exists. There is no question. Well, about good. Get get the fuck out then. That the idea times change, baby. People quit, <laughs> but people quit jobs for all kind of reasons. Is is maybe not necessarily the goal in the sense that. Um, when you talk about yeah, I, I feel like if you're upset that there are too many black people at your university, you should leave that university, or even in like, fact, you should just go over to Antarctica. Well, and I, just live as a hermit over there. The problem with this too is we don't know what Dave's anecdotal friend what their problem is really, right? Maybe they're like. It could be any number of things, right? We don't know, and we can't know because this is a Dave's anecdotal friend. But I, I think yep. this is about as good a place to leave it because we're a little bit over here, and uh, nobody's even going to hear this part of the podcast. But I do want to like <laughs> say something that I think I've only ever said in the post game, and I hope everybody's going to indulge me a minute. Why is it that somebody who's a tenured professor uh, doesn't have to like? like follow the rules why i don't i don't think that this is maybe i'm phrasing this wrong why is it that we like throw a pity party when a tenured professor is creating a shitty environment for the students and other staff and they're forced out do we throw a pity party for somebody who's like middle management at ibm when they do that or do we be like that guy was a dick <laughs> like why is why is it that academia is the place where we've decided that we're going to be upset that somebody quit their job because they don't like the way the wind is blowing. I don't understand it. I've never understood it. I've asked people in academia about it and I've gotten, I've gotten, I, well, one, one of the answers is I could never answer that question on the record because, <laughs> which is fair enough, right? They're in academia and they don't want to like answer the question, but I've also gotten that this is, this is like a position where you, shouldn't be afraid of losing your job based on your opinion. And I'm like, well, every time we find out that some of these people have been fired from these jobs because of their opinion, it also turns out that they were treating people they work with like shit. That Peter yep. Bogosian, for example, he was like, I was canceled for my opinion. First of all, he resigned out of his own free will. But secondly, <clears throat> we found out later that he was horrible to work with. He was absolutely terrible. He treated people there like shit. And the only people funny enough when we've had this story go down that I didn't hear that about was Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying. I never heard anybody say that they were actually shitty to the students or other staff at the university. Um, hmm. That could just be that nobody said anything or whatever. Or maybe they were genuinely pretty nice to people and just decided to do it dumb. But I don't understand like why it is we do this. People who work in customer service can get fired from their job for not being extra, super, extra, double polite enough. <laughs> yep. For not taking abuse from a customer with a smile. And you know what I'm saying? So I don't, and if somebody from academia that's out there that hears this, uh, takes a different position than mine and would like to talk about it sometime, I'd be glad to talk to you. I'm not a member of academia. Um, and I'd probably, uh, maybe even have, see if I could get an academic on who takes my position. But I don't think that it's because, again, he immediately brought up academia. David, David Packman did here. Right. He's like, well, I know people at university who, you know, moved for another job because they didn't like how it was going there. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe fucking maybe it wasn't the right place for them anymore. Maybe they should go work somewhere else. I don't understand why it's like a tragedy. These are probably all white dudes, too, in their 60s or whatever. I don't know why it's a fucking tragedy when a white dude over 50 is no longer a fucking professor. Can somebody tell me why this is the biggest fucking cultural tragedy that ever happened? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm I'm ready to unshed some tears for them. All right, that's like the the, the unclap. Yeah, just I'm, suck a few tears back up and go go jogging a little bit. So you build a little bit of sweat up under your eye and then suck that shit right back into your eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm I do understand that people should have academic freedom and whatnot, but I don't think that like I don't I just don't think that a lot of the cases where these people are uh, forced out is one of these things where they think the wrong thing. I think there's a big difference yeah. between what you think and what you're researching and your behavior. If you're in, if you're at one of these universities trying to research like group differences in IQ, I guarantee you, you're treating people there like shit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a big difference between like giving the freedom to research controversial ideas and being allowed to be a bigot. Like there are things that are settled. And if you, if you're like, no, we need to, we need to unpack these things that, that were settled back in the, in the like fifties, like, no, we don't. In fact, because you want to, you can leave. Right. And like, I don't know, like the other thing is these people all get canceled from the university and then they make way more money than they were, than they ever made at the university. Like, <laughs> my God, you think Jordan Peterson wants to go back to the university of Toronto and take that salary instead of what he's doing? Get the fuck out of here. Yep. <clears throat> so I guess that's the show. Um, I had my thing at the end, so uh, you can do the you can do the actual work of reading the show out, HK. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you're joining on the podcast uh, and you would like to check us out on the live show, we stream this show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and if if you're listening live, you will hear our uh, our show after the show, the red light, right after the music. Uh, if you want to check out our other shows, you can do that at echoplexmedia.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can do that on both eplex.store, an awesome way to support us, and patreon.com slash echoplex. Uh, and uh, if you're listening live, stick around after the song for Red Light. Uh, this is Boomers by Periscope.
Friday nights, twitch.tv slash Media. We start off with Down Ballot. Yours truly and the councilman go over the week that was in local news with an eye to the absurd. And of course, we tell you who needs to get their shit together. That's followed by Conspiracy Bingo, one of our funnest shows where we literally play bingo and watch conspiracy videos. And of course, I have a few drinks. Terrifying, but lots of fun. Again, Friday nights, stream starts 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Join us, twitch.tv slash Media.